2: And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 89 of the Lawyerist podcast, where we talk with Katie Floyd, co-host of the Mac Power Users podcast, about setting up her
1: solo practice plus tips for Mac and iOS users. Today's podcast is sponsored by Zero, beautiful legal accounting simplified. Find out more at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O ocom Today's podcast is also sponsored by Ruby
2: Receptionists. Ruby answers our phones here at Lawyerist so that we don't have to worry about getting interrupted when we're being productive, and we think it's awesome. Visit callruby.com slash lawyerist
1: to get a risk-free trial with Ruby. So, Aaron, this week I want to mention two things and see if we can't kind of synthesize them and and come up with some advice for people, and that's... Doritos uh,
2: and Tacos.
1: No, oh. uh, no, oh. not Doritos oh. and tacos, but similar ish, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, so at the Clio Cloud conference, Gary Vaynerchuk gave the closing keynote. and essentially what it was all about is he was just emphasizing the importance of creating great content with your with your potential clients and referral sources in mind. And then putting it out there on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube and building that audience um, and and earning those clicks or buying those clicks.
2: I think he even said all successful lawyers should be publishers.
1: Yeah, his, his sort of thrust is that everyone is a media company first because you have to get attention. You have to get people to pay attention to you and then you can sell your services to them. Which lots uh, of people resist and lots of people are just gaga over and think he's the greatest thing in the world. I'm, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. I think he's right. <laughs> so, but then another piece came out uh, on Pointer, which um, writes about the media and the Washington Post just decided that its, it's uh, articles were getting too long and a directive came from on high saying, unless you have a good reason, keep your articles to 1500 words or less. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to do amazing long-form content like this great piece on cobalt mining I just read. They're going to continue doing that. But unless there's a good reason, articles should stay to 1,500 words or less. And they're basically just saying that they're they're worried they're abusing their reader's time, which is interesting. And so, I guess the, the bigger question here is, if you're going to be doing what Gary says and creating great content, putting it out there, how should you be thinking about how long it ought to be and how it's formatted and that kind of stuff? Because I'm not sure it's always obvious. And um, there are a lot of rambly lawyer videos and, and blog posts out there. And so I'm kind of curious, how should we be thinking about that?
2: Yeah, I guess my initial instinct, like my my gut reaction is to recoil at the idea that because of social media and attention spans that everything just needs to be shorter because we we mm-hmm. just can't stand to read. But the more I think about it, the more I recognize that the goal here is attention and the goal is to provide information in a way that your audience will understand it and hear it. And so you have to be where they are. And in the newspaper business, that means you want people to be able to know enough about all of the major topics in the world over the course of over the course of their commute <laughs> and so they need to be able to skim the whole front page and read some interesting articles but you people don't spend 2 hours right reading a, a morning paper anymore and and that needs to just kind of be okay as I'm a newspaper subscriber I read the newspaper in pa- in print paper every morning um but I, I recognize that I also want to kind of know all of it a little bit more than spending hours on one
1: article. I mean, one thing that it suggests to me is that you should think about your users' time, obviously, and their attention. Yeah. I mean, at Lawyerist, our directive is um, you should do justice to the subject. You should be thorough, and we don't we're not really as concerned with length as we are with thoroughness. But I, you know, this makes me think. Well, there's more to it than that, right? Like we. Try to respect our readers by using headlines that or subheadings that that guide people through the article, Um, and an introductory paragraph that gives the overview. Because my assumption has always been that most people will only read the title. After that, some people will will read the first paragraph to see if this is something they want to read, and then they might scan the subheadings to see uh, to get the general idea. And so, those pieces should give people the general idea. I think I'm right about that. And so, maybe length is not as important as helping people assess, get, get something out of your article without really reading it and then giving them enough if they do, choose to go deeper to get more. I don't know how that translates to video necessarily because you can't let people skim an outline of a video very easily.
2: So, yeah. So, I, I think how it translates how it ties into kind of the Gary Vaynerchuk model and how it's useful for lawyers to at least think about how they could be doing some stuff is there is now this trend in kind of Facebook, Instagram videos of one to two minute videos with interesting video content and overlaid text. That's kind of rapid fire overlaid text and you can convey By combining interesting visual content with well-written but very short text content, you can convey a fair amount of information in just dozens of words, not even hundreds or thousands. Um, And those, at least in the current era of uh, multimedia online content, are the kinds of things that are performing really well on the Internet, do a great job of conveying a small amount of information, And are interesting for readers and catch them where they are, because it it is absolutely a fact that no one wants to read a law firm's full-length press release about a case they won or an award an attorney got or whatever. (laughs) Unless you
1: you do it interestingly.
2: Well, that's what I'm saying. No one wants to read the full-length press release. That is not to say that no one is interested in knowing what happened. And I think lawyers too often get caught up in the form of press releases in the format that press releases are supposed to be written, or maybe blog posts that look a hell of a lot like press releases Mm -hmm. as they're supposed to be written. But do it more interesting and have a picture of a happy client who allows you to have their picture and a picture of the lawyer in court and whatever overlaid with, we just solved this client's problem and got them an award and like that could be an interesting 30 second video that's going to convey yeah. as much or more information to your potential future clients or referral sources as a press release um, and you're taking it to where they are.
1: You're, you're totally on about the press release thing. It makes me think of a related problem that we have with writers on Lawyerist, which and all of the writers on Lawyerist are out, most of them anywhere out there trying to get clients. Um, Most of our writers initially have a tendency to sort of wander into the subject. In in newspaper lingo, they bury the lead on the second page. And lawyers have this tendency to kind of like give a lot of background before they actually get to the point. And the problem with that is most people decide whether or not to stay on the page. um, That is watch the video, scroll down, read more. In about the first three to 10 seconds somewhere in there. Some people are a little more patient and they give you 10 seconds. Some people shut the video down if you haven't got their attention in, in the first three seconds. And so, if you've taken up that three seconds with your firm logo or you're giving a long introduction to your subject, uh, you, you haven't made the pitch for stay on this page and keep reading this thing. And, uh, and it, it strikes me that maybe the rest of the length is totally irrelevant. It's whether or not you grab the person in the beginning and then you can go on giving them more and more and more detail if you want, as long as you've laid it out in a friendly way. So maybe it's not so much about length. Maybe it's really focusing on how do I make the pitch to the reader or the viewer or the listener that this is something that they really should stay tuned for.
2: Yep. I think, I think that's right. Or even just not even stay tuned, but just know that you're never going to get lengths of attention and therefore have your actual content just be 20 seconds long.
1: That is that is an interesting and, strategy, and, too. And
2: just give it to them, which in the case of blog posts, like you don't want a 60-word blog post, at least not as your average, but mm-hmm. a 20-second video is totally acceptable.
1: And in fact, I would rather watch a 20 or 30-second video than
2: a five-minute video. Especially if in those 20 seconds, there was 20 seconds of content.
1: Yeah. Well, now that we've talked about the importance of shortening up content, I'm going to go ahead and move to my conversation with Katie Floyd who does the opposite. Um, I think none of her podcasts are probably shorter than an hour, but it's the very popular Mac Power Users podcast, and she recently just started a practice, and I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with her about that process. (laughs)
0: My name is Katie Floyd. I'm probably well known on the internet for my podcast Mac Power Users and my blog over at katiefloyd.com. But during the day, I'm also an attorney. I practice primarily in the area of estate planning, guardianships, probates, uh, and some landlord-tenant law as well.
1: And fair warning for listeners, we are going to geek out a little bit about Mac stuff, potentially more than just a little. Um, But one of the reasons I'm having Katie on is because um, she just went out on her own and is starting her own practice. And so that's really interesting to talk about, too. Um, but Katie, maybe first, uh, tell us a little bit more about Mac Power Users. How did you get into this while being a lawyer and practicing full time?
0: So that's a, that's a good question. The Mac Power Users podcast, I think, has been going on since 2009. I, I, I hmm. stopped counting the years at some point. But I think 2009. Uh, David Sparks, who I know has been on your podcast in the past, mm-hmm. and I um, have been good friends for a long time. And we both met in person at a Mac World back when they held Mac World. Uh, several years ago, it was the year that the uh, the original MacBook Air was announced is how I date it <laughs> because they had MacBook Air suspended from the ceiling. Um, and we had several common friends and all of our friends got together and said, well, hey, you're an attorney and you're an attorney and you both use them like Mac. So you guys should get together and, and do something.
1: And ironically, the podcast has nothing to do with practicing law.
0: No, no, it doesn't. Uh, so we did. It took us several months to figure out what we wanted to do. But David and I were both very interested in... In productivity, you've got to remember the, the iPhone was in its infancy at this point. There was no iPad. Mm-hmm. We were very interested in helping people use their technology to be more productive. So the title is very much aspirational. Uh, we have a lot of attorneys who do listen to our show, a lot of small business owners, a lot of people who want to use their Macs more productively. Um, and of course, now since the iOS has become such a big part of the Apple ecosystem, we, we of course cover that quite a bit as well.
1: The name notwithstanding.
0: Yeah, I think if, if we had known that iOS was going to be such a big thing back when we launched the show, we, we might have named it a little differently. But it's it's teaching people how to use their their technology uh, in, in a way that helps them live their lives and, and get more work done, which is certainly things that are very important to David and I and, and to most attorneys.
1: And one of the things that I learned about you uh, listening to the, I think, the last episode of Mac Power Users was that you are not necessarily a... Um, upgrade every single time it upgrades. I think, I think you're waiting for your brand new iPhone 7, but you're currently using an iPhone 6, which is exactly the position I'm in.
0: I was, except my iPhone 7 arrived yesterday.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but so you don't, just because you write and talk about being a power user, part of that doesn't necessarily have to be upgrading on every moment that a new thing comes out.
0: That's true, because probably more than anything, I am some people would call it cheap. i I would call it frugal,
1: yep. <laughs> that sounds about right for me too. Tell me about uh, how you came to start your own practice. I mean, what what were you doing before and 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 why wasn't it and what you wanted to keep doing? Why did you decide to go out on your own?
0: So, I've been working for uh, about ten years as an attorney now. Uh, I've been happily employed for that entire time, so I feel very fortunate. And a a couple of things all came together to make the timing for this right. I'll I'll call myself somewhat of a recovering litigator, although admittedly, I I do still love litigation and and keeping my toe in litigation, but I, I don't like fighting with people all the time. So I was looking to transition a little bit out of all litigation all the time. And a, a couple of years ago, uh, due to kind of a, a personal crisis in my own family, got exposed um, very directly to the world of, of elder law and, you know, what, what happens when as family members age and, and things happen and they're no longer able to care for themselves. And what happens when you have a plan? What happens when things don't go according to plan? You know, what what happens with all of those end of life type things? And realized that a lot of people don't have help going down this path, or maybe they put together a plan, but, you know, when they put together a plan, they didn't anticipate how things were going. So a couple of years ago, after I'd been practicing as a litigator for many years, I decided to, to shift my practice a little bit and go back to school and uh, went back and got my LLM and uh, got my LLM in taxation. My particular focus was in the estate planning area of that. Huh. And uh, because I was working full-time while I did that, it typically is a one-year program done full-time. It took me a couple of years to to complete that program. And people who've listened to MacPower users have, have kind of lived with me through that program as I've been working full-time and a part-time podcaster and, and part-time student. But I've, I finished up that degree in May and a, a bunch of things kind of came together and it seemed like the right time to, to go out on my own. Um, my, my good friend David Sparks did it about a year ago and was yeah. very helpful uh, to me in that pursuit. I'm I, very fortunate that I have a, a fairly good base of, of, of clients that I felt that maybe I wasn't going to starve if I went <laughs> out on my That's own. That's helpful. <laughs> um, and, uh, very fortunate to be practicing in a community where, uh, I was born and raised and have been living most of my life. So had a good base of just friends and family and, a uh, referral network that I'd been, been growing for a long time. And, and so far it's been going well.
1: That's awesome. Uh, you make it sound so casual and, and I know that those of us who have started our own businesses, um, look back and we're like, you know, okay, I just did it. Was it a hard decision or were you, was it really just like, I've, I kind of want to go out on my own. I think I'm going to try it.
0: It was not an easy, it it was easy and it was hard in a couple of different ways. Uh, It was something that I've always been interested in doing. It was something that has always been on my radar. And like I said, the timing for a lot of things just came together to why not now? Certainly a lot of planning and preparation went into it. I, I am a very risk adverse type of person. Um, Hmm. And so this was something that I'd been thinking about for several years before I did it. I think if you had me back on this podcast a couple of years from now, I'll probably tell you that I wish I'd done it years earlier. <laughs> Cuz <think> so <laughs> that that tends to be what I hear from people. Yeah. Um so I I wasn't going to do it until I uh, until a couple of milestones had been met, until you know I knew that I had a certain amount of of saving goals achieved that I knew that I could survive for a certain period of time even if there was no income coming in. Um, because again, I'm, I tend to be very risk adverse and, I know that there's certainly no guarantees in anything, but I wanted to put myself in the best possible position to to be able to grow the, the practice slowly and the way that I wanted to, uh, because I also wanted to be in a position where I could be very particular about the types of cases that I wanted to take. I, I never wanted to be a jack of all trades and a master of none. And I wanted to be comfortable, especially as a solo, to be able to say no to things, to say yeah. that's really not what I'm interested in doing. And uh, that's really not something I'm comfortable to do.
1: How much saving, how many months of savings did you try to get in the bank before you went not on your own, people uh, love to ask that question before they go solo. Uh,
0: I, uh, without giving any specific numbers, I, I would say comfortably in excess of six months.
1: That's that's fantastic. Um, I, I always sit to sell people as many as you can, um, but you know, three to six months is probably a, a base. Do you have, um, do you have a spouse who? Uh, is able to help support during this, or are you kind of like you're going with no parachute other than the one that you've stitched yourself with savings?
0: No, just just me and my own parachute here, and that was that was one of both the terrifying and the liberating things about it. Uh, I, I am single; I, I do not have any children at this point. Um, so on one hand, it was a great time to be able to do that because there was nobody relying on me except me, mm-hmm. but. On the other hand, it's also terrifying because there is no Plan B. Um, there is no other spouse that's that's working. That if things don't work out well, that there's anybody for me to rely on. There's there's no one else who has an employer-paid you know insurance policy that that we can uh, you know hop on or anything like that. It's it, it's just me. And so the the answer to all of my problems and all of my problems
1: is me. So I. I don't ask people to hand over their income statements and I I know you're you're a month in, but I'm curious, how are you, are you feeling optimistic right now? Are you still in the honeymoon phase or are you worried about um, when your next client is going to pay an invoice?
0: Uh, well, I haven't actually sent out any of my invoices yet. As, as we record this, it's actually the twenty eighth of the month, oh, sure. so I'll be sending out. <laughs> sure,
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm very, I'm, I'm very worried about all my clients going to pay my invoices right now. But you have um, some to send. I do have some to send. As, I, as, and I, I, did take a sneak peek because I can, I can do some quick reporting, um, and it, it looks like I'll be sending out invoices that will probably be about on par with, with what I was making, um, you know pretty steadily at the at the old job now obviously I will have to cover expenses and, and overhead so uh, you know it, yeah but that's it fantastic for for month one um, I think that's <laughs>
1: that's not too shabby that sounds like a win for month uh, three uh, one through three through six through nine as well um, <laughs> so um, you've you, I guess you alluded to it but um, sometimes when people go solo they they have like a really well-defined philosophy of how they want to practice law um, their client service model, Um, innovations that they want to incorporate. Do you feel like you have kind of a cohesive strategy or philosophy of how you're approaching this? Or um, are you sort of taking it slowly and seeing what emerges?
0: Well, I think one of the biggest reasons that I wanted to go solo is because I wanted to be able to decide how things were run in in my firm. I had a lot of flexibility at some of the previous firms that I worked at, and then also none at some of the other firms that I worked at. Hmm. And uh, I, I wanted to be the one who was able to say, you know what, I think there's a better credit card processor that we should be using because th- this one offers these features and the one that we're using only offers those features. So we need to switch. You know, I think that there's a better way of, of handling file management. So I think we need to switch. And I wanted to be the one who was in charge of making all those decisions. Maybe, maybe that was me being a little bit of a control freak. Um, <laughs> And when my, you know, one of my complaints about some of the other firms that I've I've worked for, and I haven't worked for that many, um, is that, you know, sometimes they would say, yeah, that's a good idea. We'll look into that. And sometimes they'll just say there, there's no problems. Everything that we're doing is perfect. What could possibly be wrong? So I, I really liked being the the controller of my own destiny and um, as especially kind of the Mac Power user side in me uh, likes to be able to fit a little bit with the technology and decide this is the software we're going to use. This is the solutions we're going to use. This is how we're going to manage our files. This is how we're going to do those types of things. So one of the big draws for me is is being able to, to have a cohesive experience. And I'm not sure if I'm answering the question that you Nobody, asked. But well, I
1: you were, but, I, but you also prompted me to go off on a tangent here, which um, is maybe a little bit closer to your Mac Power users world, which is um, how do you balance... Doing productivity—that is, fiddling with your tools um, and trying to refine them and get them better—because you were talking about, you know, part of your desire was to have greater control over how things are done and the tools you use. So, how do you balance your desire to optimize versus actually being productive and getting things done?
0: Well, that's hard because I'll tell you when I when I made the decision to go solo, and I I told some of my law partners some of them were, were terrified there's like are, are you crazy you're going to have to figure out you know how to like manage files and how to do accounting and you're like and i you know, know! Answer your phones all that i'm like i know isn't that great <laughs> and so it, you know as a as a geek and someone who enjoys some of the fiddly stuff of this sometimes it, it definitely can be tempting to want to play too much with some of these sim- uh, uh, the these systems that we've put in place mm-hmm. uh, rather than actually Practice law. Yep. So that's something that I I definitely am trying to be very aware of. Um, and and so that these first couple of months especially, um, I've I tried to put some systems in place. You know, before we even opened the doors, September one was was when we officially launched. Um, the royal we that would be me and I guess Ruby. <laughs> and so I'm trying to hold to that. And if something doesn't absolutely need changing, I'm trying to stick with that. Probably at least through the end of the year before I make major changes and then evaluate and see where to go from there but it, it is and, and so far so good I've, I've held pretty steady to that but it is very tempting to be fiddly yeah
1: I, I can I, I have that problem too and then um, you know I, I got totally obsessed with getting things done for years and and then all of a sudden I realized that I'd been using the same set of tools for a long time and um, but also that I could switch tools with no switching time because I had a, I had a procedure that I could apply to anything uh, and then and then I, that was a little bit freeing when I realized I didn't have to care about my tools as much as I used to.
0: I mean, I guess I had a couple of overarching goals that, that I wanted to implement. I knew very much that I wanted to implement as much as possible a paperless practice. That was something that was very important to me. Um, I knew that I wanted to have a practice where I could work from anywhere. I wanted to be able to work from home just as seamlessly as I could work in an office. And having an office that's very customer service oriented with estate planning, that was something that I had to have. In fact, that is that to this day continues to be my my largest expense is I, I, I'm i in an office share type of arrangement, but I have a very nice office mm-hmm. because I have to meet with clients. I have to have a conference room um, for the type of clientele that I'm, I'm catering to. I have to have a presence, a uh, you know, big fancy brick building with signs out front and ample parking and um, you know books in the conf- they're not my books but books in the <laughs> conference room shelf um, that I, I go to every day but I also wanted to if after hours or on the weekends wanted to get work done, I didn't want to have to go to that office, so I knew that I wanted to set some things up in very specific ways that I could get work done from everywhere, that I could get done work done from home, from the office, uh, and even be as mobile as possible to the extent I could on, on iOS.
1: And, and I imagine you're at the point in your starting a practice journey where um, you will work as much as you need to to get work done because you're not really all that interested in turning things down, right? But at some point, you need to start, I imagine you'll, you'll find that you want to start drawing more lines. Um, we, we had Kristen Lamont on recently who said that going mobile was great but also a challenge because people felt like they were um, working all the time when before they could only work from their desks. And how do you think you'll balance that, uh, you know, the, the, the ability to work all the time with feeling like you actually have to?
0: Well, one of the benefits of, of having an office and having a, a dedicated office space is uh, thus far, and, and again, it's only been a month, unless I had a very good reason not to, I have established pretty routine office hours. I'm typically in the office by 8 or 8.30. I'm a, I'm a morning person, so mm-hmm. I'm usually up and in there anyway. Uh, and I'm typically looking to go home around 5.30 or 6. So it's been, in, unless I have something that has to get done, I'm I'm pretty much done. So... I have tried to establish general office and and working hours and try to make an appearance in, in the office. And my general philosophy has been, you know, if you're in the office, you can kind of make things happen. And if you're, you know, at home, you know, working from the couch, sometimes it's a little bit easier to, to let things slack, at least for me, that's always Mm -hmm. been, I know it's not necessarily true for, for other people. Um, but it's always been very helpful to me to get up and, and go in the office and, and do things. Um. So that's that's how things have been working for me. But but I agree, it's very important to have to have those those lines. I I've, I have worked probably most weekends, but I've tried to limit that to more administrative stuff. You know, one weekend was kind of a QuickBooks weekend. One weekend was kind of a file scanning and archiving weekend of you know taking things from the old firm that they had given me in paper and, and digitizing them to to get all that paper out of here and and doing those types of things.
1: Very cool. Uh, so we're gonna take two quick minutes from our sponsors, and when we come back. I want to start talking about some of the tools that you've alluded to.
2: Billable hours are the lifeblood of a successful law practice. Problem is, you still have to bill those hours. Even if your law firm has an accountant, tracking hours, clients, rates, preparing invoices, and collecting on those invoices is time you never get paid for. And writing notes to yourself in court or on the road is inefficient and error-prone. Run your legal practice better with cloud accounting software and see why over 600,000 small businesses love Xero, including Lawyerist. Get a free trial at Zero.com. That's X-E-R-O.com. Beautiful accounting
1: software. This podcast is supported by Ruby receptionists. As a matter of fact, Ruby answers our phones at Lawyerist, and my firm was a paying Ruby customer before that. Here's what I love about Ruby. When I'm in the middle of something, I hate to be interrupted, so when the phone rings, it annoys me and that often carries over into the conversation I have after I pick up the phone. Which is why I'm better off not answering my own phone. Instead, Ruby answers the phone, and if the person on the other end asks for me, a friendly, cheerful receptionist from Ruby calls me and asks if I want them to put the call through. It's a buffer that gives me a minute to let go of my annoyance and be a better human being during the call. If you want to be a better human being on the phone, give Ruby a try. Go to callruby.com slash lawyerist to sign up, and Ruby will waive the $95 setup fee. If you aren't happy with Ruby for any reason, you can get your money back during your first three weeks. I'm pretty sure you'll stick around, but since there is no risk, you might as well try. And we're back. And Katie, you start a law practice not just as a lawyer with a decade of experience, but you... Um, you have been deep in the weeds on what's available for productivity and anything else for for Mac users, for iOS users, um, and web users. Honestly, um, so when you when you start thinking about how you're putting your practice together, what kinds of tools did you adopt right away? Uh, what kinds of tools are you considering adopting soon? And I get that you're you're um, not even yet a month in, um, but you're not you're well beyond a month of being a lawyer and um, well beyond a month of Practicing productivity in law practice, and so I'm I'm kind of curious as to how you approach that, figuring out what to get, um, which is occupies a large part of the stress and concern of new lawyers everywhere.
0: Well, a lot of it was based on what did I already have, and a lot of it was obviously based on the fact that I am very Mac and iOS based. You know, I run a podcast that's Mac power user, so Mm -hmm. I I was not going to have a PC in my office. Though, as someone who does estate planning, as you might imagine, a lot of that software is still pretty proprietary PC-based. So um, although I do have a Mac Mini in my office, that's my primary workstation, I'm also running Windows in uh, Parallels, which is a virtualization software, because when I actually have to draft, um, I'm drafting in a PC application on, on that virtualiz- virtualized PC.
1: What, what's that software?
0: Uh, it's it's called Logic, L-A-W-G-I-C. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I think they're more popular in Florida in a couple of areas. I, I don't know if they're necessarily nationwide. I, th- I think they, they pick a couple of states that they they really hone in on. And so that's that's what I use for for my estate planning drafting. But that's really the only thing that I boot the PC up. And at this point, it's really when I have an estate plan to draft and then I close it back down and do all of my, my tweaks just
1: using Microsoft Office. And so... Uh... I heard you mention QuickBooks earlier. Um, you're paperless, and I imagine that means a scan snap for you.
0: Yes. Um, so on the finance side, I really didn't know what to do. I have a good friend who is a my my personal CPA and has done my taxes for years. And so I just said, okay, so this is what I'm doing. You're going to do my business taxes. Tell me what I need. <laughs> and and she told me that I needed to do QuickBooks online, and that was so that she could have access and I could have access. And so I said, fine, you know, sign me up, whatever I need to do. Um, so I've got a, a QuickBooks Online program. I, I was not thrilled with some of the billing implementation, so I'm using a, a, another application for billing. Right now I'm using Harvest. Oh, yeah. I don't know whether I'll continue with that, but I've been very happy with it, and it's fairly inexpensive. It's like for a solo, it's a $12 a month add-on. But it's it's got good implementation for, for time tracking and for invoicing, and it does things like being able to let you... Um, send invoices electronically. so I'm totally paperless in um, sending invoices out to my clients. Um, and then they can actually pay me wire uh, electronically as well. so it will it will tar- tie in with a couple of payment processors um, so they can pay me electronically. And I've also set up a law pay. Uh, so I can accept credit card payments. And one of the reasons I use that is because they'll, they'll keep money segregated between the trust right. and the uh, operating account, which is very important. Because I do take retainers on matters that are money that's not earned for me. Um, and so that's one of the ways that, because billing is huge. Billing is one of the biggest paper generators in law offices. Yeah. And that's one of the ways that I'm able to keep my billing completely paperless. Um, but for the other stuff, yes, you're right. Um, I do have a scan snap. Uh, Fujitsu ScanSnap iX500. Uh, I have actually two of them. I've had one on my desk at home for years and thought about taking that into the office and realized I was not willing to give it up. <laughs> so just bought a second one to, to go in the office. I tend not to generate a lot of paper um, with my practice. I'm I'm doing a lot by signing PDFs and we we are all electronic filing in Florida now. So I don't generate a lot of paper. Those things just stay on my computer in electronic format. But anytime a client gives me anything, um, right there in the office, I will I will scan it in and then typically hand the originals back to them. In fact, I've actually written that in my retainer agreements with them. I've, I've got a section that's devoted to um, document and file storage and handling where I, I talk to them about that I'm a paperless office, that I do not keep original documents, you know, unless it's absolutely required for their matter and that after so many days, you know, after their matters close, that you know, after I've made an attempt to return them that I can discard them and, and those types of things. So
1: That's a smart thing to do. I did that in my retainers as well. Um, it's funny, you know, uh, I have a ScanSnap iX500 sitting on my desk right in front of me right now too um, but I was just having a conversation with Aaron, uh, my business partner, that uh, I almost never use it. I open it up about once a month um, and scan a few pieces of paper. When I had a practice, I used that more but I, I generate so little paper and... Once, uh, once I converted all of my bills and statements and things to paperless and, and once I started communicating primarily via email attachments and things like that with opposing counsel, the amount of paper that actually came in my door really dropped. I'm sure if I was practicing actively, I'd be using it more. But, but even still, I, you know, f- three, four years ago, um, I wasn't generating much paper and I wasn't using my scanner very much. So, even though it's like an essential tool... Um, I, I, I feel like I can see the time when just being able to use ScanBot on my phone is all I need, which is pretty much all I use now.
0: Yeah, I actually use Scanner Pro on mm-hmm. my phone. I have very, that too. Very, simil- very similar app. And what that will allow you to do is take a picture of a receipt or a document. It will even OCR it, find the edges, turn it into a PDF. Um, and I'm sure you've we've all received pictures of documents (laughs) from clients before and you're just going oh why Why did you send me this um the harvest app actually has a nice feature where if you have a receipt you can take a picture of it and save it to the uh, client account um and the quickbooks app will also do that so you can keep track of your expenses that way
1: you mentioned file storage uh briefly do you are you a dropbox user or do you use something else to sync up client files
0: I am a Dropbox user. Um, I've upgraded to Pro accounts, and I, I know that was a little bit controversial. Of oh, you're you're storing client documents in in the cloud. Um, you know, Florida actually does have an ethics opinion on that, which basically they kind of punted a little bit and said you just have to do due diligence. So um, I I am using a, a an appropriate Pro type account for a business. And I, so I definitely pay for my Dropbox storage, and I've made sure that I have all the additional security features turned on. You know, mm-hmm. I'm using a good password. I've got two-factor authentication turned on. I've got notifications set so that if something else connects to my Dropbox account, it will warn me. But it's it's great because although I need to be very careful to say Dropbox is not backup, right. um, <laughs> it is storing a copy of your file. So it is kind of a, a, a poor man or a poor woman's backup of some
1: sort. Well, and if you turn on the... the um... PackRat extension, it really is backup. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Um, and I'm also, so that that's one of the things that allows me to uh, basically work from anywhere because with Dropbox, my files are on my work Mac, my files are on my home Mac, um, you know, and I can access them anywhere on iOS. Um, I'm also of course making you know local backups and I'm I'm also doing cloud backup as well I'm I'm using a service called Backblaze to mm-hmm. to back up my documents both at work and at home so there's really you know if anything happens I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> well all. covered
1: you know my my uh, new favorite thing about the ScanSnap actually is with the last update um, or the previous to last update, the scan snap cloud option. Um, I've unplugged my scanner from my computer, and now I just run paper through it um, directly, and it just goes straight to Dropbox, and I don't even have to worry about it, which I love. yeah. And then what kind of so- it doesn't sound like you're using practice management software yet.
0: I am not at this point. Um, one of the philosophies that i that I went into this is, you know, like I said, i'm I, I'm fairly frugal. And one of my concerns was, Anything that I went into this practice with on day one was going to be very hard to get rid of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to go in as as lean as possible, knowing that it would be much easier to add than it would be to get rid of. So I'm not using any practice management at this point. I'm using files and folders. Now I'm using some third-party utilities on the Mac to help me organize those things. There's a a great extension, um, a system preference on the Mac called Hazel. That will allow you to automatically um, rename and, and file things, and we've done several Mac Power Users episodes on on Hazel, uh, and so I have a, a lot of Hazel actions invoked to to help me keep files organized and and things like that. But at this point, no, it's it's just files and folders. At at some point, I might consider adding practice management, but I don't really feel like I want to do that until I've I've probably been doing this for at least six months because I want to be able to make an informed and educated decision of exactly what do I need, what features am I lacking, and, you know, what what exactly am I going to use a practice management system for?
1: That is such a good perspective. So many lawyers um, think they need practice management software and go shopping for it when they don't have a clear idea of what need they will be meeting with it. And that becomes a problem when, like, if you're an Outlook user um, maybe that meets your needs, and you don't need to be looking at practice management software.
0: and again, you said, you know so much as an email. i I'm using a a gmail for for work account. So that's that's more than archiving everything that I'm using. I'm also using a um a third party plugin for Apple Mail called Mail Tags. Mm-hmm. And I've set up a couple specific rules. So every time I open a new client matter, it it will look at a couple of keywords. Who who's the message to or who's it from or is a couple of words in the subject matter and it's it's tagging my mail automatically for me. You know, oh, this must be related to the Smith v Jones matter. Uh, so it's tagging. You know, is another factor to help tag my mail. You,
1: you mentioned Hazel real quick, and um, I I, I want to include links to the episodes of Mac Power Users so that people can go see some example. Here's some examples of how to use it and what to use it for. But can you give us a couple examples? because I, I know that it's it's actually worth giving an example of how you can use it because it is such a powerful program.
0: Well, and I should mention the best way to to see what Hazel does is actually watch it in action. and sure. Um, David Sparks has done a couple of um, uh, field guides or a couple of video tutorials. Um, on Hazel. I think he's actually done a video field guide on Hazel. So you can actually watch what it does. But um, Hazel, what it will do is it will watch your files. And, you know, if you have scanned everything in with your fancy scan snap or your scanner on your phone that has the ability to OCR. And what that means is optical character recognition. So to be able to pick out the words and see the words in your files, Hazel has the ability to now read the data hmm. in like PDF files. And of course, lawyers work and live and breathe in PDFs. Um, so you can set up specific Hazel rules based on criteria and files. So, you know, here's a very simple one for for just categorizing expenses. Um, you know, you mentioned Ruby. Every, um, every month I get a bill from Ruby, and it, that, that file has a couple of key characteristics in it. It has my account number. It, it has Ruby receptionists in it somewhere. So when I download that file from my, I think it's emailed to me, that that PDF invoice. When I download that from my email application to my down, it goes to my downloads folder, but it's it's named something weird. Mm -hmm. So Hazel looks at that file, it sees that criteria that I've set up. Think of it like a series of if-then statements. So if this criteria is met, if you see this criteria in this specific file then do these things. And what I have Hazel do is rename that file consistent with my file naming system. And that's something that I think is very important, especially if you don't have practice management software, to have a consistent way that you name and organize your files and to file it in a particular folder. So it's going to file it in my business receipts folder under this category. Um, You know, and those are documents that I share with my accountant so that I know um, when my accountant is balancing my books for the quarter, she's going to have access to that receipt. And so I do that with a lot of my ongoing monthly business expenses. And then I also have similar categories set up every time that, uh, you know, I open a new client matter, you know, Hazel's going to create a, a subset of folders and, you know, certain things that have certain criteria. Like if it if it has a particular case number in it, those are all have, uh, you know, if you're looking for a particular thing with a particular case number, it's going to file it in that client folder.
1: That is super useful. Um, I, I, I always had a manual system for copying over my, file templates and I was always accidentally moving instead of copying. And it'd be so easy to just grab something like that and have it make it happen automatically. So Katie, maybe let's close uh, with one of my favorite things to do with um, tech forward lawyers, which is talking about some of your must have apps. You've you've mentioned some of the services you're using, but um, what are the things on your phone, on your Mac, on your watch, if you have an Apple watch that you just can't Imagine yourself living without whether or not honestly whether or not they have to do with your law practice.
0: Uh, well, I'll try to give you things that are that are more productivity focused. Um, a couple of things. Obviously, all attorneys have to deal with calendaring. So the app that that I use for calendaring is is one called Fantastical. It's available both for uh, the Mac and iOS. Uh, one of the things that I like about it is in addition to it being a full fledged calendar is it has great natural language support. So I can write things in my calendar like uh, "report uh, record podcast with with Sam Wednesday at 5.30, and it will automatically create a calendar entry for Wednesday at 5.30 titled record podcast with Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and that also works well uh, with dictation. So it's, it's just probably one of the best calendaring applications that I've used. So that's fantastical. Um, Another one that I I really think all attorneys can be using, and it's one that I recommend a lot for my clients in my estate planning practice, uh, is a password manager app. My personal preference is, is one called 1Password. I think LastPass is probably pretty good as well. But you know we we all know the horror stories of of data breaches and what happens when your information gets compromised. And the reality is it it will happen, and it probably won't be your fault. It will probably be someone else who who gets their data compromised and you just happen to be an, an innocent bystander. But there's only so much you can do to protect yourself, but the single most important thing you can do is to have strong, unique passwords across all of your sites. And it's a real pain to do that unless you're using a password manager. Um, so just to have that information stored somewhere else, what 1Password does is it lets you store that information. It will randomly generate passwords. It will um, automatically log you in. And one of the reasons that I like recommending something like this for my estate planning clients is, you know, what is what is your plan? You know, if you become incapacitated or um, in the event when you die, um, how is someone going to gain access to all of your digital assets? So much of our life is online now um how are they going to access your online banking accounts or your you know even just your email and those types of things so i typically tell them as part of a comprehensive estate plan you also have to figure out how to plan for those digital assets as well and so if you're using something like a a, a password manager that's just one thing that you have to keep updated and then provide instructions on how to access that and then your fiduciary is covered. So
1: how do you... I, I, I know there's a digression, but um, but that's a pretty interesting issue. How do you advise people to do that? Do you tell them to use a shared... My wife and I have a shared password. Um, we use Dashlane. I use Dashlane. She knows that. We have a shared password. Um, Dashlane also has a dead man switch, which is nice. Um, if I don't use it for two weeks, it'll automatically email her and let her know that I haven't logged in and ask her if she wants to or say it's something like that. Um, I know people keep you know, half the password in, a password in a safe deposit box and give the other um, half to their spouse or someone they trust. Um, do you have a preferred way that you'd tell people to do it?
0: I think that's a conversation you have to have with the client on a case-by-case basis based on what their comfort level is, the type of assets that you're talking about, and uh, you know, who the potential fiduciaries are, because everyone's circumstances are certainly different. Um, and, you know, obviously what their comfort level is with technology. Um, what I personally do and what I think might be right for certain people is, you know, I, I'm comfortable. I keep all of my stuff in one password. I keep it updated. And then I have what I call an emergency kit, and it's it's not mine. I, I lay no claim to it. Um, I think Mike Vardy might have come up with this, and hmm. I, I actually b- blogged about it on my my uh, law site. And um, And, you know, it's basically... Uh, a a one page sheet with information that just basically says, hi, you know, this is the password manager that I use. This is how you access it. And by the way, if you need to get into my computer, this is the password to get in my computer because you're going to need a couple of bits of information just to get access to the password manager. So it's just kind of, and and then I think it also has, and, and if this makes no sense to you and if you need help, you know, here's the name of, of two of my techie friends
1: who can help walk you through this. That is super smart. I'm going to include that link. Any other must have apps.
0: Oh, I, I've got a I've got a ton of must-have apps. I'm I sure mean, you have a long
1: list. Give me give me two or three more.
0: Give you two or three more. Um, uh, OmniFocus is um my to-do application of choice, and to call it a to-do application is is really an abomination. It's it's really an entire GTD system. Um, GTD is obviously the getting things done methodology. Mm-hmm. It's based on a book written by David Allen, many many years ago that is, has since been revised and updated. But it's kind of my external brain. It's, it's where I store everything that I, that I have to do um, today, tomorrow, 10 years from now. Uh, One of the things I noticed is 10 years ago, I put a note in here to uh, renew my passport. And it's 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 just come up due. So it's it's interesting that I'm I'm using the same GTD application now that I was <laughs> I was using ten years ago. So that's so it works.
1: Uh, and I I know a lot of lawyers use OmniFocus in place of a practice management software. I think David Sparks basically uses it for his practice management software.
0: Well, and and that's some of what I've done too, because it's it's great for calendaring. It's great for follow up. It's it's great for making sure that you you can note your deadlines. So there's there's that. Um, the other thing and and mine is pretty unique I, I use a, a product called Zoltis and mixy but I think having a basic uh, VoIP phone solution is a is a good solution and um, you know find the one obviously that that works best for you some people like ring central some people like Vonage I went with mine because basically a, a, a longtime business associate and client of mine um, you know happens to run a telecommunications company <laughs> and and it worked out well for me Um but, but having the ability to make and return calls from anywhere, you know, again, kind of goes with that overarching philosophy of I want to be able to run my law practice from anywhere. I want to be able to run it from the office if I'm there where I have a dedicated phone on my desk. But I also want to be able to return calls from my cell phone, from my iPhone, without people knowing that I'm sitting at home.
1: And so you have a separate business phone number, and that's what you use that for
0: yeah, I have a separate business phone number. I have a separate gotcha. business phone. Um, it's sitting on my desk. but I, it also has a VoIP component that has an app on my cell phone um, that if I'm not in the office, i can I can dial through that app on my phone and I can make and receive calls from my cell phone as though I were on the other phone. And I think Ruby can do this to some degree as as well. Um, I just I happen to go through a different. Provider for that, you know. For example, I'm this might be kind of scary for someone who's opening a new solo practice, and I'm a little nervous about it. But it was a pre-planned trip. I'm taking two weeks off in April. My (laughs) family and I are are going to uh, Amsterdam and uh, Holland and Belgium uh, for two weeks to go see the tulips. So I'm still going to have to do some work. I can't take completely two weeks off without having any access to work. Um, But I'll I'll be able to e-file. I'll be able to email. I'll be able to make calls. I'll be able to do all of that. Uh, just by taking my my laptop and my cell phone.
1: Very cool. Before I before I say thank you and close, is there anything you wanted us to talk about that we haven't talked about yet?
0: I, I think the overarching theme of of my new solo practice and the way that I'm able to sleep at night is I've tried very hard to keep things simple. Um, I I can always add later. Uh, I think being somewhat frugal and being somewhat prepared for this has um, you know by by having savings and um, by By starting off slow, I mean that that's been how I've started. That's how I've always been comfortable doing things. I think taking things slowly and building them up from there, um, hopefully, will will serve me well. Um, You know, today I I I probably backed off of a client that that if I were in a different position, I might have taken. But you know, it was kind of one of those things in the back of your head. You 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 know, you know, this isn't going to turn out well, and I'm going to regret this if I end up taking it. So why don't I just not take it to begin with?
1: One of my favorite posts on our site is the clients you don't take will be the best money you never made.
0: Exactly. And that's that's absolutely true. <laughs> I think um, one of the best pieces of advice that a judge gave me made once is the best decision you'll ever make is to fire a client.
1: Mm-hmm. Totally. So
0: uh, I, I think going slow and and kind of coming at this from a hopefully a position of strength and I I think it's at least what gives me some comfort in this in this solo journey
1: well for what it's worth from somebody who had been there and done that I think you've got the right approach and I really appreciate you being with us and talking about your practice while it's still in its birthing phase I guess it's it's be it feels like it's uh it's in the process of becoming and it's really cool to get a window into how that's happening so thank you so much for being with us today
0: it's been my pleasure
1: to make sure you catch next week's episode of the Lawyerist Podcast, subscribe to the Lawyerist Podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. You can listen to it at lawyerist.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe to the Lawyerist Insider, our weekly newsletter. Just go to lawyerist.com and look down the sidebar or click on newsletter up at the top. We'll remind you where to find the podcast whenever we release a new episode. Thanks for listening.